so glad to see you here worshiping with us today. Here are your big three announcements for the week. Parents, if you haven't already done so, go ahead and sign your kids up for VBS Week, happening the week of June 5th, and text VBS Kids to 910-424-1298. Men, we have a couple exciting events coming up for you. Our next men's breakfast will take place on Saturday, June 17th at 8 a.m., and go ahead and text BACON to sign up for that. Also, if you haven't already done so, go ahead and sign up for this year's men's retreat taking place on September 29th through October 1st. Go ahead and text the word RETREAT to 910-424-1298. If you aren't currently serving somewhere, we certainly encourage you to do so. This week we highlight our children's ministry and we have openings for both teachers and assistant teachers. Simply text the word SERVE to 910 424-1298. We encourage everyone to download the church app, and you can do so by downloading it on iTunes or Google Play, which will allow you to see all other events, sign up for journey groups, view previous sermons, or access the notes for today's sermon. There are also multiple ways to give here at Southview. You can either give online through the app or in the giving boxes by the doors as you exit the sanctuary. If you are a guest here visiting with us today, we are so glad to see you here. We would love to connect with you and pray for you. You can help us do so by texting CONNECT to 910-424-1298 so that we can help minister you and see if there is any specific way that we need to help you. Again, thank you so much for being here. Now let's worship in the Lord together. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How is everybody? I am so excited to be in the house of the Lord. Yes, we have so many great things happening. VBS ha happens uh, tomorrow night all through the week. Super excited about that. But the most exciting thing has already happened. Christ has come. Christ has saved those that believe. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Yes, stand with me. Stand with me. And let's worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is worthy. Adore Him For the unlong is worth 
majesty before my eyes let it take my breath away a million angels more face down on the floor all to echo holy is the Place, 
You guys may be seated. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Matthew chapter 7 together, all right? Matthew chapter 7. While you are finding that, uh, real quick, just wants to say again, thank you for worshiping with us today. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it is so great to have you here today worshiping the Lord. A couple of quick um, housekeeping things. Uh, one, you saw in the video, if you saw our announcement video, we have our men's retreat coming up September 29th through October 1st. Guys, sign up for that. Text the word treat, retreat to our number, 910-424-1298, to sign up for that. It's going to be an amazing weekend. We're going to really focus in on helping you see and learn how to really grow in your faith. We want to put practical understanding of what it means to be a man of God that grows in the faith. And so that's what the whole point of that weekend is going to be. You're not going to want to miss that text retreat. Sign up for that. Uh, Second is, uh, I mentioned it last week. Um, I'll tell you again, uh, this summer we're going to put together kind of a reading group, I guess you could say. Um, uh, We have some people in our church that are just kind of wrestling with a call to ministry of some kind. You don't know what that means. You don't know what that looks like. You're not sure what in the world God might be telling you to do, but you just sense something stirring. Um, and so we want to create an opportunity for you to come together, get with a group, and we'll just kind of, we'll read through a little book together and just hear one another and talk to one another and help one another work through what does it mean to discern what God might be calling you to do and what the next steps for you might be. Uh, that's for men and women, high school all the way up. So if you're interested in that, uh, just find me afterwards. I think we're already up. I was over here um, writing out all the names that grabbed me in the first service. I think we're up to around 14 or 15 who are interested in. So um, if you are, please let me know uh, after service and I'll let you know all the details. And then last quickly, tomorrow begins Vacation Bible School. Uh, so very excited about that. Don't forget that. Be sure to have your kids here. Uh, if you're not signed up yet, be sure to do that. Uh, and we'll crank that up tomorrow. All right, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. So we're in a series that we're calling In or Out. And the big idea behind the series is, quite honestly, for you as an individual to look yourself in the mirror and ask, am I really a Christian? Am I actually in or am I out? Am I lost or am I saved? Am I a believer or not a believer, right? Where am I? And, and the reason we're asking that question is because the Bible tells us to. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible tells you to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. The Bible says, don't just assume that you're a Christian. And don't just assume. Examine. Test. Pick yourself apart. Look at the Bible and see what the Bible says a Christian is and then Examine yourself to see if you line up with that. Uh, The way that we're going at this is we're looking again at Matthew chapter 7. And so Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' largest bulk of teaching that we have. And in Matthew 7 verse 13, it begins the invitation, right? Jesus is, um, he was Baptist, and so he had an invitation, Right? And like the band is on stage, the lights got low, it's a straight invitation, okay? And I want you to see how Jesus 
presents the invitation after a sermon, right? He's just got through preaching a sermon on what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And then he ends the sermon by giving an understanding of, now here is how you actually enter the kingdom of God. Right? So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, I've been telling you the last couple of weeks, there are two big ideas in that chunk of Scripture that I want us to see. Number one, there are only two options. You are either saved or you are lost. Every person in this room, Every person in this room, you only fit spiritually into one of two categories. That's it. There is no door number three. This is all you got. You are either lost or you are saved. That's it. Right? You are either dead in your sin or you're alive to God. This is not the princess bride and you are not mostly dead. Right? You are either in or you are out. That is it. Second thing that I've been showing you in this passage is these people all thought they were Christians. This passage is not geared to the atheist or the agnostic or the Muslim or the Buddhist or the New Age spiritualist. It just isn't into, you know, organized religion. This is specifically targeting people like us. It's us. This passage is designed for people who are sitting in a church service today. They thought they were saved. They thought they were in. They did all the things. They repeated the prayer and they got baptized and they joined the church and they give money and they're in a small group. They serve in a ministry. They do all the things but they're lost. As we've been working our way through this passage, um, we've seen a couple of things already. 
Uh, in verses 13 and 14 a couple of weeks ago, we saw that it is actually really, really easy to go to hell. And it is really, really hard to go to heaven. It's easy to go to hell. It's hard to go to heaven. Now, in saying that, I don't mean that you work your way to heaven, you earn your salvation. Salvation is just a gift from God by His grace through faith in Him. That's it. But the only way you receive that grace and walk in that is through the narrow gate. In other words, you fall on your face in total submission to Jesus and you give yourself just to Him and follow Him faithfully for the rest of your life. And few people actually do that. It's hard to go to heaven. It requires something of you. The debt for your sin has been paid, but that does not mean your salvation requires nothing of you. It actually requires everything. Everything. It's so funny whenever I preach on, you know, money or sex or anything that's slightly controversial, people are like, oh, all God cares about is my money. All God cares about is, you know, who, who I sleep with. Actually, no, God cares about way more than that. Right? He, he, he cares about their whole life. He wants you to be committed to him in everything. And to not do that means that you're actually on the easy path that's going to lead to hell. Uh, the second thing that we saw in verses 15 through 20 was the way you live shows what's actually in your heart. So there's a narrow gate and a hard path that leads to salvation in life. There's a wide gate and an easy path that leads to hell. And so the question is, well, how do you know which path you're on? And the Bible is going to say you're going to know which path you're on by looking at your life. Examine the fruit. Again, people say things like, well, okay, pastor, my life may not look like you think it should I may not do what you think I should. I might do things the Bible says is wrong now. But I know in my heart, in my heart, I really love the Lord. And the Bible is going to say, no, you don't. Actually, you don't. The Bible is going to say the evidence that you're a Christian is not that you really, 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 really feel it in your heart. The evidence that you're a Christian is that you bear out the fruit of salvation. You actually live in obedience to Jesus. That's how you know which path you're on. And then we come to today. So the truth I want us to see today is just because you say you are a Christian and even do Christian things does not mean that you are a Christian. Just because you say that you're a Christian, just because you do Christian things, that actually doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Uh, we're we're going to see this in verses 21 through 23, so let's just kind of focus in on that. And, and before we jump into that, I, I just want to tell you, as a pastor, as someone who's been, you know, studying the Bible for a living for a couple of decades now, um, as I've spent time in the Word, and I've studied, and I've read, and I... These three verses are hands down, without any question, the most terrifying verses I've ever read in the entire Bible. These verses that we're going to read right now are, without any hesitation, the most terrifying verses I've ever read. Listen to what they say. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, it is possible for you to say the right Christian things and do the right Christian things and not actually be a Christian. And that is true for us as well. So let's take some time and let's dive into the passage, okay? I I think it's important for us to kind of pick this thing apart and, and see it in its fullness. So look at it in verse 21. Let's pick it up there again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um. Just simply saying the words doesn't count. So the fact that they're calling Jesus Lord, they're basically calling themselves a Christian. Right? So they're, they're professing Christ. They're saying it. Right? They're saying, I'm a Christian. Jesus is my Lord. Not only that, that um, uh, expression Lord, Lord is in what's called the present active tense. What that means is this is an ongoing action. This isn't a thing that they did. They didn't, you know, say Jesus was their Lord at one time in their past and then they just kind of moved on with the rest of life. These are people that constantly, every day, profess to be Christians. This is who they are. This is their existence. Jesus is my Lord. Right? They, they say this. They profess this. He's my Lord. Not only that, the fact that they're calling Jesus Lord shows that they understand on some level who Jesus is. Right? They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They know that Jesus died on the cross for their sin. They know that Jesus was buried and that he rose again. They know that faith in him is the only way that you're saved. They know he's the Lord and ruler over all creation. They're calling him Lord so they know who he is. They have an intellectual understanding of the gospel and the basics of Christianity. But they're not actually saved. Listen, you can call yourself a Christian and not actually be a Christian. You can believe. The basics of the Christian faith and not actually be a Christian. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, Even Satan and his demons believe these things. And they tremble in fear over the idea of it. But they're not saved. Listen, it is possible... And, and I love this. One of the things that God is kind of stirring up in... Christianity as a whole, and the church as a whole, and in, in, in our church specifically as well, is um, an increased love and desire for doctrine and theology, to, to, to grow as a, as, a, as a more astute theologian, which I think is very, very, very significant. Um, everyone is a theologian. Theologian, just you break the word theology down, that just means the study of God. Everybody has ideas about God. People are like, I'm not a theologian. Yes, you are. You're all theologians. Just many of you are bad theologians. You all have theology, right? You all are theologians. You all have ideas and opinions and thoughts about God. That makes you a theologian. You just stink at it. You can have right theology. You can believe the right things about God. Your theology can be right and you still be lost. You can know the truth and still be lost. 
Not only that, I'll give you another element to this, another layer. When he uses the phrase Lord, Lord in that double name, usually that's in terms of a, an intimate relationship, right? That shows intimacy. He's not just some distant, far-off force that you're trying to obey, but there's an intimate relationship. Lord, Lord, this intimate closeness. In other words, they, they feel a closeness to God. You ready for this? You can say you're a Christian, but not really be a Christian. You can believe Christian things, but not actually be a Christian. And you can feel in your heart like you're a Christian and still not be a Christian. Like you can feel it. Isn't that where we always go? This is, there are a few things that have done more damage to souls than the way we've tried to help you in being secure in your salvation. We have done irreparable damage to people's souls because we focus on how you feel do you feel like you're a christian when you prayed that prayer did you feel it did you believe it deep inside did you really focus hard on the words you know you can come in here hear the band play have a really emotional response to it you can hear me preach and go, oh, man, stepping on my toes, but that's great. I'm going to come back next week. Like, you could have an emotional response to the things of God and still just be lost. Romans chapter 10, verse 2 says that you can have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. What that means is this. You can listen to this. This is, this is what makes it so important. You think, why are we doing this? Like, the last few weeks, it felt a little heavy. Like, everybody I talked to were like, so, can I come to church on Sunday? Like, I'm not sure. Why are we doing this? Because Romans 10, 2 says that you can be really, really, really excited about God. And really, really, really excited about doing things for God. You can love your church. You can love serving in the ministries here. You can be excited about all of that. And still be lost. And still be lost. You can have a zeal for God. But not actually know Him. You can say all the right things. You can believe all the right things. You can feel all the right emotions. And be lost the whole time. Just be lost the whole time. It's not about what you say. It is about what you do. That's why Jesus says there in that Matthew 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And we'll unpack that in just a few moments. It's not about what you say. It's about what you do. Do you follow Christ? Do you live a life following Jesus? Do you obey Jesus? It's actually not super complicated. In fact, in the Luke 6 um, uh, account of this teaching, Jesus asks it in the form of a question. He says in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you? Right? Even Jesus is dumbfounded. He's baffled. Jesus is up here like, so let me see if I get this straight. You call me Lord. You say you know who I am. You say that you're a Christian, but you don't actually do what I tell you to do. Help me connect the dots. Right? 
when your version of Christianity confuses Jesus, you may want to take a minute and pray through that. When your way of living out the Christian faith makes Jesus look at you and go, so what is that? You might have a problem. Right? There might be an issue there. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. It is about how you live. And to that, some would say, whew, well then I'm good. Because I do a lot for Jesus. I'm very active in the church. I'm very active in ministries. I go on mission trips. I serve. I teach. I do a lot. So I'm good. Well, then we get verse 22. Verse 22 says, on that day. So, okay, real quick, what's that day? That day is judgment day. That day is the day where every human will stand in front of Jesus. And listen to me. There will be no more hypocrisy. There will be no more pretending. There will be no more acting like you're something you're not. On that day, many will say to me, I want you to think for just a minute. Again, certain words matter. Many. Many. I need that word to ring in your ears. On that day, many will say to me. Who's the many? Well, it's the same ones from verse 13 that entered through the wide gate and walked the easy path. There are going to be numerous people, many. How many is many? A lot. You, you couple that with, you go back up to verses 13 and 14 where it says not only many are going to enter the narrow gate, it goes on to say, for you actually go through the narrow gate. Many go through the wide gate, few actually enter through the narrow gate. There are going to be many And these people, we're going to see in just a second, are going to try to talk their way into heaven. Just like you've talked your way on earth into making people think you're a Christian. Just like you've talked your way into church membership and talked your way into serving in a ministry and talked your way into being a leader. You're going to try to talk your way into heaven. But you're going to be standing in front of Jesus. There's going to come a day where your words are going to mean nothing. And he is going to be able to genuinely see your soul. And do you belong to him? And look what these people say. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
I want you to notice just a few things from the passage. I just want to highlight a couple of things that, that, that I see as I, as I read through it, okay? First is this. The list of things these people have done in Jesus' name is staggering. This is unbelievable what they've done in Jesus' name. I mean, they have prophesied the future and cast out demons and performed many, many works and miracles. And I want you to hear me. You ready? These people in their list is much better than ours. I mean, they've got a list. If what you do can get you into heaven, they win. They performed miracles. They've shown authority over demons. They prophesied the future. All in the name of Jesus. Man, their list looks a lot better than you attended church. I was a part of a small group. Their list is a lot better than I went on mission trips. I served in the kids' ministry. And even though they did all those things, look how they're described there in verse 23. Workers of lawlessness. Their good works could not cover up the fact that in their hearts they were still just rebellious against God. They may have had God's word in their mouth. They may have done God's work with their hands. But their heart was still filled with rebellion. They wanted to live their own life. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to be their own God. They got mad at messages like this. It says, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. Their list is unbelievable. We just don't stack up. So how much more should we pay attention? Not only that, but second, these were not people who sat on the sidelines of religion. They were active and leading. These are leaders. These are ministry leaders on the front line prophesying the future and casting out demons and healing people and all kinds of wild, unbelievable things. Stuff that they would do and people would immediately assume, wow, that's a godly person. Look what they're doing. It's amazing. But the truth is, they never knew Jesus. Can I tell you a very painful and hard truth hell is going to be filled hell is going to be filled with pastors hell is going to be filled with missionaries and deacons and Sunday school teachers and journey group leaders and children's workers and youth workers and committee members and ministry leaders hell is going to be overflowing with them because what you do means nothing the position you hold means nothing. It does not get you in the kingdom. And the third thing, which is the most heart-wrenching for me, is these people are shocked to learn that they're not actually Christian. That is, that's the most devastating thing. These people did all of this in the name of Jesus, and there's every indication that they lived their entire life assuming that they were believers. 
Can you imagine this? You live your entire life thinking you're a Christian. You live your entire life seeking to do things in Jesus' name. You live your entire life thinking you're this, only to stand in front of Jesus himself and have him tell you, I have no idea who you are. You do not belong to me. Leave. Listen. These had to be the most heartbroken and devastated people in all of history. There are two types of hypocrisy. There's conscious hypocrisy and unconscious hypocrisy. So conscious hypocrisy is you're sitting in the room today, you're not really a Christian, but you want us to all think that you are. All right, that's conscious hypocrisy. And, and that's probably true in here. We probably have some people in the room that you are not a Christian. You don't believe this stuff at all, but you call yourself a Christian because your family would be mad or whatever, right? So you really don't believe any of this, but you kind of just say that you do. Conscious hypocrisy. No doubt that's probably in the room. But the thing that terrifies me the most, and the thing that I think is the bigger issue, is not the conscious hypocrisy, it's the unconscious hypocrisy. Unconscious hypocrisy is this. Not that you've convinced other people you're something that you're not. Unconscious hypocrisy is you've convinced yourself you're something you're not. You've lied to you. That's what these people have done here. They tricked themselves into thinking they were Christians when they weren't. They deceived themselves. They, they, they thought they were. But the truth is they weren't. What about you? What about you? So here's my question. If saying you're a Christian doesn't really make you a Christian, and doing Christian things doesn't really make you a Christian, and believing the right Christian things doesn't really make you a Christian, and feeling like you're a Christian doesn't really make you a Christian, so what does make you a Christian, right? That's important. That's significant. That's what we need to figure out. So go back to our passage, verse 21. There are two phrases that I want you to see. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then down in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we need to figure out what does it mean to do the will of the Father, thus entering the kingdom of heaven. And then who are the workers of lawlessness and how do we make sure that's not us? So I'll give you a little idea, a little definition, and then we'll look at some scriptures to back it up. Okay, Um, The will of God. The will of God is that you would trust in Jesus as your Savior and live the rest of your life in obedience as a faithful disciple. This is the will of God for your life, that you would trust in, by faith in Jesus and live the rest of your life in obedience as a faithful disciple. Anyone who does not do this is a worker of lawlessness. So, a couple of verses. John chapter 6, verse 40 says, for this is the will of my Father. Which again, that language. Remember Matthew 7 says, only people that do the will of the Father come into heaven. So what's the will of the Father? John 6 says, this is the will of the Father. That seems significant. So this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. 
So the will of God is that you would believe Jesus is who he says he is. That you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That you would believe that Jesus is your only hope for salvation. That you would believe that your sin has separated you from God. And Jesus came to die in your place as a sacrifice to take away your sin. To make you enter into a real relationship with God. And only by faith in Jesus can you do that. That's the will of God. So, here's the thing though. Didn't we just get through saying that believing those things by themselves doesn't necessarily mean? So then how do we know? How do we know that I'm believing in a way that brings true eternal life? That's where John 8.31 comes in. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So the word abide means to live, to dwell somewhere, to live there. So what he's saying is this. The only way you become a Christian is by trusting by faith in Jesus. And the way you know you trust by faith in Jesus is if you live in the word. So what does that mean? So think about living. So I live in my house, right? We're going to leave here today. We're going to go home. And there's something about walking in your house. Whenever you walk in your house, you just feel like you can breathe, right? It's like, oh, I'm home. I go to other people's homes. I visit their house. And I feel welcome. And they're accepting. And and thank you for being here. And Make yourself at home, and I can, you know, raid the fridge, and I know where the cups are and where they keep the spoons, spend a lot of time in their house. And so we're, like, I'm, I'm comfortable there, but I'm just visiting. That's not where I live. I might even spend the night at someone's house for some reason. That's not where I live. I'm just visiting. I go back to my home. It's about where you live, not where you visit. Listen to me very carefully. How do we know that we're believers? It's about where you live, not where you visit. For many of you, you don't live in obedience to Jesus. You just visit from time to time when it suits. The question is, do you live in obedience to Jesus? Or do you just visit sometimes? Do you pop in and pop out? And, and, you know, again, as Christians, do we keep sinning? Do we still sin? Yeah, of course, absolutely. We're not perfect. But think about it again like this. So summer's coming up. People are going to be traveling. We're going to do traveling. And you go on vacation. And it doesn't matter how much you enjoy vacation. There is nothing like going home, is there? Like you walk back in the house like, oh, my bed. I can sleep in my bed. Thank you. When you're away from home, you want to come back home. If you're really a follower of Christ, if you've stepped out of obedience, you want to come back to living in obedience. Does that make sense? Like you want to come back home. You get convicted. You feel like you're missing the Lord. You want Him. You come back to Him. The question is, where do you live and where do you visit? In fact, that's how Jesus describes salvation. He says also in the Gospel of John, anyone who believes in me, the Father and I will come and live with him, abide with him, make our home with him. This is the point. Where do you live? Do you live in relationship and obedience to Jesus? Or do you just visit obedience from time to time as it suits? This is why in 2 Corinthians 13, 
we're told to examine ourselves. Examine yourself. Examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. Look at your life honestly right now today. Look at your life and ask the question, where do I live? Do I live as an obedient disciple of Jesus, following his word, submitting to his word, living by his word, or do I live out here? And when things go bad, I pop back in and I visit because I realize this is good and that's bad and this helps and that hurts. Where do you live? Where do you abode? How do you examine? So I, I'll, uh, I'll give you an example from my life. Uh, so I grew up, my dad's a pastor, so grew up in a Christian home, Christian parents. And I remember when I was five years old, um, I was laying in bed, and um, it was dark, and I'm staring at the ceiling, and in my five-year-old mind, I just started like, thinking about hell freak me out so i get up and i run down the hall my little footy pajamas and i go into my parents room and uh i tell them what i'm thinking they say well would you like to ask jesus to come into your heart and save you i said yes so i remember sitting right there on the foot of their bed and prayed and asked jesus to come into my heart and i remember i got baptized after that and i remember i was so little that we got in the baptistry, and when I stepped off the step, I had to swim to my dad because I couldn't, like, the water was too high. And, um, and so he was in the pool, right? And I remember I had to stand on his foot, and he had to pick me up so I could see over the rail and everybody could see me. Like, very vivid, I remember. So five years old, did that. So live the rest of my life, right? You grow up, go into high school, 15, right? 15 years old, we go to summer camp, youth group. And, uh, and I remember at this camp, the pastor's preaching, and he gives a really um, uh, passionate uh, plea for salvation. It wasn't manipulative, there wasn't anything wrong with it, but it was just a strong, hard gospel message. And I look around, man, and everybody's flooding the altar and getting saved. So what do I do? I freak out. Maybe I'm not saved. I don't know. So I go down again, and I go find one of our youth leaders. His name is Lynn Shue. And I go up to him, and, uh, and I knew his sons. His sons were good friends of mine. And I went up to him. I said, Mr. Lynn, I think I need to get saved. And I remember he looked at me and he said, aren't you already? I said, I don't know. I think I need to do it again. He said, okay. So I remember he led me to, again, Pray and ask Christ to come into my heart. And I remember we got home and we did a big baptism. Me and all my buddies, we got baptized together. And I very vividly remember that. So prayed and asked Jesus into my heart when I was five, got baptized. Prayed and asked Jesus into my heart and got baptized when I was 15. But when I was 20 years old, the year 2000, the very first Passion Conference, John Piper spoke. If you were a church kid from the 90s, you may be remembering this. He did his same, you can Google it, it's famous to call it the seashell sermon. It was basically about, don't waste your life. You know, as much college kids is what passion was for. As much college kids there, it's like, don't waste your life chasing stupid things of this world. Make your life count for Jesus. And there was something about that message. It was like a switch flipped. 
And out of nowhere, I saw Jesus different than I ever saw Jesus previously. Like, I craved him. All the, like, literally out of nowhere. It's like, I need Jesus. Like, I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to pursue Jesus. I want to obey Jesus. Like, something changed in me. So the question you might ask is this. Okay, did I get saved at 5? Did I get saved at 15? Or did I get saved at 20? You know my honest answer? I have no idea. And you know what else? I don't even care. You know why I don't care? Because the evidence of my salvation is not a thing I did in the past. The evidence of my salvation is today, at 44 years old, I love Jesus. I live in obedience to Jesus. Are there times where I visit sin? Yes. But I, as quick as I can, pack my bags and get my rear end back home. I live in Christ and in obedience to Christ. That is my fruit of salvation. Not, I prayed a prayer when I was five and got baptized. I did it again at 15 because, you know, you can't be too safe, right? When I get to heaven, not only do I not care now, I'm definitely not going to care then. It's not the point. And what I want you to see today is this. For many of us, you are banking on the wrong things. You're looking back in time at this thing you did. Or you're looking at the emotions of how you feel when you come in. Or you're looking at your brain and going, well, here's the things that I think and believe. Jesus says, no, listen. If you abide in my word, if you live in obedience to me, that's how you know you're truly my disciple. Now that you attend church, now that you try to be a good person, do you live obedience? So for you here this morning, do you live obedient? Do you live obedient? Do you live a life that shows love and submission and pursuit and worship of Jesus? If the answer to that question is no, I want to encourage you today to, sum, to submit to Christ, turn from your sin, repent from your sin, and trust by faith in Him. Trust by faith in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. If today you need to trust by faith in Christ, you need to trust by faith in Jesus, you look at your life and you see that it does not, it does not look like someone who lives in submission and obedience and love for Jesus. Be honest. Examine yourselves. 
to see if you're in the faith. Test yourself. If today your life does not look like that, that is not who you are, be honest. And I want to encourage you today, say, Jesus Christ, I've called myself a Christian, but I don't think that I am one. Today I submit myself to you. I need you. I'm following you. I lay everything down. Jesus, help me. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I know that you died on the cross for my sin. I know you rose again. Save me, I need you. Take just a minute. You pray. If today God is stirring in your heart and you're, you're maybe realizing that you're not actually in Christ, maybe you're realizing as you take an honest look at the fruit of your life, there's a really good chance you're going to be in the many and not the few. There's a pretty good chance Jesus will look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Please, I'm encouraging you. Don't stuff that down. Don't try to ignore it. Today, you can right now call out on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. Truly submitting your life to Him and say, Jesus, you have my own. And if that is your desire today, I'd love to talk with you about that. You can come up afterwards and, and talk with me. You can talk with someone that you came with encourage you, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Lord God, I pray that you would allow us to see many people come to faith in you. Allow us to see many people see their need to truly submit their lives to you and live in obedience as a disciple. Jesus, do this in us. I pray we'll stop looking at silly things like stuff we did in our past to try to help us feel like we're Christians. But God, we'll look at our lives today and have the honest conversation of, am I really living as a disciple of Jesus? Do this in us. We need it. Thank you, Jesus pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, listen, before we finish today, we want to take some time and recognize a really special group of people, our graduates for 2023. And so uh, if you could watch the screen as we recognize and celebrate our graduates.
Yes, give our graduates a hand. If, uh, if you were one of our graduates um, that was on the slideshow, could you just stand for me real quick? You just stand right where you are, just stand. Perfect, excellent, thank you. You went perfect, awesome, great. Now come forward, come this way. <laughs> I knew if I said come down, you wouldn't have stood up, so I tricked you. Come this way, come line up right here. Um. Miss Marie has something for you. Uh, so we want to take just a second and pray over these graduates. Um, Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, we want to pray over these graduates as they go into the next stage of life is that very thing, that God's hand would be on them, that God's face would shine upon them, that uh, the pleasure of God will be found in them and what they do. And every next step and phase, what all that looks like. So what I want us to do is take just a minute and pray over these graduates, okay? Uh, just lifting them up, praying for them. So I'm going to pray, but I'd like for you all to pray as well. Uh, so do me a favor. As I'm praying, um, I'd like for you all just to sort of lift your hands out towards them, right? So you're praying towards them. So I'm praying. You lift out your hands towards them in prayer as you are just praying for them and lifting them up before the Lord. So let's just bow our heads. Lift your hands up towards them, praying for these graduates. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for them. We thank you, Lord, just that you have brought each of them through this process. And I know for, for, for each one of them to come to this point, it's been a journey. It's been a process. There have been ups and downs and good days and bad days. But God, the point of all this is that you was there with them the entire time. You were there watching over them you were there guiding them, and you will continue to do that in the next stage of life. I pray, God, your blessings on them. I pray, God, your hand on them. I pray, Lord, not only that they would just move forward in life and just do 
well in whatever field or profession or path they might have. But God's bigger than that. I pray for each of them, Lord, that they would grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus, it was said of you that you grew in wisdom and stature with both God and man. I pray the same thing for them. I pray, God, that they would grow in wisdom in you. They would grow in stature in you. They would grow in place in you. And I pray, God, that for the world as well, that they would grow in wisdom in this world and, and, and place and standing in this world, that you would use them as missionaries in all realms of life to proclaim your glory and your goodness. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you. We pray, God, your blessing on them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can you give them a hand? Have a seat, guys. Well, as they are getting to their seat, uh, not only do we want to pray for them, um, we want to give you a chance to sing over them. Uh, In that, as we sing here in just a moment, the song of the blessing, I want to encourage you to not just sing it as a song, not just read the words on the screen, but really as a heartfelt prayer over these graduates um, that we are sending them off as... um, warriors for the kingdom of God as precious children in the the eyes of God sending them off with blessing for all that God has for them. So stand if you will as we end our time here together singing slash praying a blessing over our graduates. And I actually want to do something a little bit different. Brian if you'll turn the house lights back up because I want the graduates to see these people sing over you And I would encourage you to go find a brother or a sister, not just a graduate. Lay your hands on them. Pray these blessings. This is scriptural truth that we believe and we profess and we confess. So let's don't just stand and sing a song as as my brother just said. Let's bless one another in the Lord. Let's sing. Lord bless you.
children, their children, their children may save us, be upon you and a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. With you in the morning, in the evening, in your party, in your garden, in your evening, rejoicing is for you, 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 is for you. Bless you guys. Have a great week. We love you.